I'm going to be honest with you. When I, when I was first putting together this message for Thanksgiving, I just thought, okay, let's, let's put together a nice little Thanksgiving message. You know, it's Thanksgiving Day. You know, kind of, you know, cute little Thanksgiving service and message. And, and didn't really see the urgency in it. Like, well, of course, it's Thanksgiving. You give a, a message on thanks. And yet, God's really convicted me about this, that Thanksgiving is huge. I mean, the, the, the priority and the discipline of thanksgiving is going to make or break your life. It, it really does. Because the thanksgiving forces you to focus on the things that are positive. It forces you to dwell on. If you have that discipline of thanksgiving in your life, during those times of thanksgiving, it forces you to dwell on exactly what Scripture tells you to dwell on. What's true, what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's excellent, of good repute. Um, you, you know, those are the things that God wants our minds to dwell on. And, for example, have you ever met someone, do you know someone right now who always sees the negative in everything? You think of someone like that? They just see the negative in everything. Are they pretty happy people? Do you ever just look at them and go, oh, I wish I could be like him. <laughs> I wish I could be like her. No. And yet, do you, do, have you met people who, you know, even like today, can thank God in some of the hardest situations, and it seems like no matter what situation they're in, they find the thing to thank God for. You ever met people like that? It just seems like they find the good in everything, and they're thanking God constantly, no matter what situation they're in. They're pretty happy people, aren't they? And then you look at those people and go, gosh, I'd love to live a life like they do. You see, this makes or breaks your life. I mean, we have got to be people who understand the principle of thanksgiving. I mean, even yesterday afternoon, I had some things that I just wanted and I had to pray for. And, and so I got down on my knees and I just thought, you know what, before I do that, let me, let me do my thanksgiving thing first. You know, I'm preaching on that tonight. So let me, let, me, let me thank God for whatever I could think of. And I just kept thanking, thanking, thanking. And by the time I was done, I was like, oh, what was I going to ask for? You ever done that? You ever just start off with Thanksgiving where you just go, 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 and you just start thinking about all the things you're grateful for, and then pretty soon once you're done, you're like, you know what, forget it. I don't need anything else. Because you just look at your life. I tell you, you see, it, it's not about, okay, sometimes, especially during the holidays, it's a sad time. It just is. For a lot of people, this is the most depressing time of the year. It's the most difficult time of the year. Uh, for some of you, this year specifically, the holidays were just crazy at Thanksgiving because maybe it was the first year without a loved one. Maybe this is the year that the family maybe fell apart and just Thanksgiving was just a wreck. It was just a mess. And it just, it just brings back all these painful memories of how good it used to be. And uh, it just hurts. It's a tough, tough time for people. And, and so what happens when life gets difficult is one of the first things to go is thanksgiving. We kind of feel like we've got an excuse, right? Well, I don't have to be thankful. You know, in my prayers, let me just cut to the chase and tell them what I want because I'm hurting right now. And yet what we don't understand is that it's the thanksgiving part is actually what heals us. It's when we learn to thank God through the tough times that we ourselves begin to be healed. And so when you forgo the thanksgiving, you know, that's the very thing that would save you. Um, 
You know how it says in Ephesians, not Ephesians, Philippians 4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. He says, Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. And then he says, you know, uh, do, not, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's so important that those, those two words, with thanksgiving, that even in the midst of the most difficult, anxious you know, times where, where you're saying, gosh, I, I'm, I'm going to start getting stressed about this. He goes, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Lift your request to God, but do it with thanksgiving. Guys, we've got to do it. And then after that is when he says, you know, that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, right, pure, you know, that, that that's what your mind should dwell on. See, this is the very thing that saves us, and yet it's the very thing that we run from. Today's passage is, is that passage where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. Yeah, you guys know about this, right? A lot of, a lot of you guys. It's, it's the, what we call the triumphal entry. It's where we are in Luke. But it's a day where the people are giving their thanksgiving to God. The word thanksgiving literally just comes in the Old Testament. The word comes from the root word, which means to praise. It's the whole idea of praising God for something. And that's exactly what the people are doing. It's this day where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, and the people are just ecstatic. I mean, it's just wild. I mean, it's just an absolute rush where you just go, man, I wish I was there. You know, I'd give anything just to, just to be there and to see that and to experience it and feel the emotion of everyone realizing this truly is the Messiah. He's coming into Jerusalem. And they're just screaming their heads off, waving palm branches, throwing their clothes down on the street so that the donkey could tread on this path of their clothing. It was just insane. And as I think about that, I guarantee you, some of those people in that crowd must have been going through a hard time in life, right? I mean, what are the odds that everyone that showed up just happened to have this great life and everything went well that week and that year and that? No. There were people that had a really tough time. I guarantee it. So what drove them to get to this place and worship Jesus? They saw something that was bigger than their problems. They saw something bigger than themselves. And they came and they worshipped and they bowed before the Savior. And sometimes... Sometimes we have a hard time looking outside of our own personal lives. And we have a hard time seeing past tomorrow and seeing beyond a week ago. You know, and, and yet this whole idea of the coming of the Messiah, this was, this was prophesied thousands of years ago. Ever since the creation of time, since Adam and Eve, there was this promise of this deliverer. Okay, do you get this? You know, and so for hundreds and hundreds of years, all these generations came and gone, hearing more and more promises of this Messiah that was going to come. They came, they died, they came, they died, they heard, they came, they came. No one saw it. And then finally this generation you know, that we're reading about here realizes we're going to get to see him. This is huge. People have been waiting for this for hundreds of years, and then here in my little tiny lifetime, I'm going to get to see it. I'm going to get to see them. And so they're just going wild. It's kind of like they just dropped everything. All my problems, everything else, it's gone because I got to see him. I'm going to get to see him. You know, and, and I guess in life, it, it's so easy for our, our mindset to be so myopic and just to look at our lives and look at what happened this week 
and be so focused on it and not remember that there's a bigger story here. There's a bigger picture. I mean, you've only been alive a few years. I don't care how old you are. You've only been alive a few years here on this planet. And there have been a lot of things that have taken place up until this time. And there are plenty of things that are coming after this. You know, and here we are in this little part, and sometimes we just have to get out of our little worlds and see this bigger picture. And that's exactly what these people are doing. The Messiah is here, the fulfillment of Scripture. So they come and, uh, and they worship uh, in, a, in a pretty crazy way. And, and really, that's what we want church to be. You know, it's kind of our time to just kind of escape our little tiny lives and worship someone that's bigger than us and see a story and a plan that's larger than our lives and our, our issues, however big they seem to us during the week, you know, to go, you know what, there is something bigger. There is something bigger than my life, and it's this Messiah that we've been waiting for. And in Luke 19, it's this story, and uh, it starts in verse 28. Um, and, you know, as you're turning there, I, I just, I, I just got to ask this. You know, we've been spending the last week talking about being more of a giver than a taker. You know, just going around living a life of giving. Do you really, how do I say it? Has that worked? I mean, do you, do you have, are you a different person now? Are you more of a giver than you were a month ago? I mean, honestly, just kind of do this or, or just... I mean, you know, just kind of, I mean, do you, do you really feel like in the last month as we've been doing this that, that you feel like, yeah, this has changed me? Make an expression. Okay. I, you know, it, it just, it, 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 the whole thing is, is I, it's like, okay, I, I'm just thinking, okay, does this really do anything? And it, this whole idea of Thanksgiving, I don't want to have, I don't want to have, you know, a one-time service where, oh, yeah, you know, we shared some thanks, we prayed to God and gave him thanks, and then boom, it was over with. You guys, this has got to be life. And this is what I'm praying for is, I really mean it, this will make or break us, the type of people we are, is directly related to how much time we spend in Thanksgiving. Okay? And so I'm praying that this doesn't just become this one-time service thing, but you go, no, I do need to live a life of Thanksgiving. I need to, be, to live a life of worship and praise regardless of what's going on in my life. So here we have in, in Luke 19, verse 28, it says, after Jesus had said this, and when, when he says what he had said, it's uh, what we studied last time, not last time, a little while ago, with uh, the parable of the, the minas, you know, how he explained he was going down to Jerusalem, but then he was going to leave and come back, and, and we ha we're kind of in managers of all of his stuff, and we have to invest it for his kingdom. After he said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you'll find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they had told them. And they were untying the colt and as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Okay. So Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. 
And remember the scene. Okay, we've set this up several times. You know, as we've been going down the passage in Luke, what did Jesus do as he was heading down Jerusalem? He heals the blind guy, right? I mean, he heals Bartimaeus, and the people are amazed because a lot of people knew this guy Bartimaeus, and they go, "Man, that guy's been blind forever, and now we can see. This is this is crazy, you know." And he keeps going down the road, and then there's a funeral. You know, there was there was a funeral days ago. This guy Lazarus was dead. He was buried. He's been dead for days, and the people are mourning, going, "Jesus, you're too late. If you'd only come three days ago." And Jesus. It's never too late. He goes, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he has them open up this grave, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And they watch a man who was dead walk out of the grave. You know, and he's still wrapped up in all of his bandages and all, you know, and, you know, he kind of just hopping out there, and he's bandages all over his face, and he goes, you know, untie him. You know, he's going to die again. You know, so, so they, they untie, you know, and the place is just going wild like, I mean, you guys, this is, this is just insane. I, I mean, it'd be like walking through a cemetery and, and him just, you know, saying, you know what, und- undig that, that grave and then, and then call the guy out of the coffin, have him walk out. You're just going, who is this guy? And he's claiming to be the Messiah. And so as Jesus is going in Jerusalem, he's doing these things. He already has a reputation of performing all these miracles, but now with crowds of people following him down in this procession, down in Jerusalem for for Passover, they're all seeing it. So then Jesus stops at this one place and he says, you guys go on ahead, I'll be down there. And so these people go ahead of him and they go into the city of Jerusalem and they're telling everyone, I mean, can you imagine if you saw that? What are you going to tell everyone you run into? I mean, you've got this crowd of people going all through the city. We saw it. People you know that are reputable are telling you, no, I saw it with my own eyes. This is the real thing. And the whole place is in a frenzy because they're all going, and he's going to be here any minute. He's going to be here any minute. So this place is fired up because this is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so Jesus, he stomps and he lets that crowd just get up in a frenzy and just spread the news. And I mean, you see how strategically this is all laid out? So all these people are waiting for Jesus, the Messiah, the one who has power over death, to ride in. And so he, he stops here and he tells his disciples, hey, go to this one place. You'll find a, a donkey there, this, this colt. Bring it over to me. And some people read this and they have a problem with that. And they go, hey, Jesus doesn't have any right to go and just grab someone's donkey. <laughs> who owns the donkey? Okay, you know, we've been through this, right? A couple weeks ago, you know, who created this earth and everything in it? You know, and for us to say that we own anything and he has no right to it, it's just silly. When did we take ownership away from God? Okay, so he gets a donkey, all right? We all okay on that? He gets the donkey, and and it seems like the people didn't have a problem with it because they just said the Lord needs it, and the story just ends there. They take the donkey. But what happens is, um, let me me say this. This whole idea of Jesus riding in on a donkey, you have, maybe you've heard before that a a king would never ride on a donkey because, uh, you've probably heard it before because I've said it and studied some more this week and realized I was wrong. Sorry. Okay, or maybe it was someone else. Uh, but, uh, okay, here's the thing I found out. Okay, I, I said it before because I, I just trusted a couple of books that I read and, um, about how a king wouldn't ride on a donkey, and he wouldn't if he was going to war 
But there were circumstances where you do see kings on donkeys, and they were during times of peace. And it was a sign of humility, and yet I, I, it, it doesn't really denote um, that poverty or, or uh, it wasn't a degrading thing to ride on a donkey. Um, and yet at the same time, it was a fulfillment of Scripture. Um, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it talks about how he, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, it was a fulfillment, you know, just like a lot of things that you'll be reading right now are a fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures that said the king was going to ride in on this donkey. And, uh, and I, I guess there was a, there's a lot of things written about how a king would never do that, but it, it actually did take place several other times, and it was just during times of peace. I mean, he wasn't going to go to war on a little donkey, you know, but at the idea of, you know, in times of peace, it was just like this transportation thing, and it wasn't necessarily dishonoring that in and of itself. But uh, verse 35, it says the disciples, they brought, they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks, kind of like their outer jacket, you know, we'll call it, on top of the colt, and then they put Jesus on top of the colt, and as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Man, I just love this scene. I just, I absolutely love this scene because I just think, what would it feel like to be there? You know, everything you've heard about, about this Jesus, and then he shows up and he comes in just slowly. It's just so dramatic on this donkey. And people, you know, every step the, the donkey takes, someone's throwing, you know, their, their clothes out on the, on, the, on the road. So that donkey, even the donkey that he's on, has this beautiful path to tread down. And that was something that they would do. It was, a, it was an incredible sign of honor. You know, other Gospels tell us they were waving palm branches and throwing palm branches on the ground, which was something they would do when a warrior would come back from a victorious battle or a king would come to take his kingdom. You know, these are things that they would do, and that's what they're doing for Jesus. And um, as this is taking place, it says, uh, oh, oh, let me say this too, because they're shouting these praises to God, but they're not ordinary praises. They're saying specific phrases here. And they're taking these phrases when they say, Hosanna. You know, have you heard them? The, you know, in the other Gospels explain that he says, Hosanna, which is, O Lord, save us. And, uh, and, and here where he says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These are particular phrases that they're taking from Psalm 118. And the reason why they are quoting Psalm 118, because Psalm 118 was a prophecy from hundreds of years ago that was predicting this day and this event to take place. See, in Psalm 118, verse uh, 24, one, it says this, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us, which is Hosanna. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, 
a lot of us that grew up in church, we sang that song, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Okay, and we just sing it about any old day, right? You know, it's like, oh, sun's out, this is the day, this is, you know, and we would just sing it, oh, this is the day, we're, we're, and we're always singing about today, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay, you know, that's cute, but the, the psalm was more specific. The psalm was talking about this day, this specific day that the Lord made, that the Lord planned out, this very day when the Messiah was going to ride into Jerusalem. This specific day was prophesied in the book of Daniel. Hundreds of years before it happened, it was nailed to the exact date in which Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and be celebrated. He would come into Jerusalem, and then it says after that he's going to be cut off. Okay, which happens right after this day. This is when the people start rebelling against him because this day, everyone's screaming, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What happens the next day? They're, they're screaming for his crucifixion. Everything turns around. It's like all the praise, everything's just cut off. And then by Thursday, you know, comes the crucifixion. You know, Thursday, Friday, and then, you know, is buried. And then, you know, comes back on, on, on Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection. But, you know, it's the whole trial thing. It's just the whole Passion Week. But it's all talking about this day. So when it says, this is the day the Lord has made, they're saying, this is it. The day that we've been waiting for for hundreds, thousands of years. This is it. And so they sing these very things. They scream these very things. Hosanna, O Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as this is going on, this is what I love, is the, the, the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders that don't like this popularity of Jesus, because it's taken away from their glory, they're trying to get everyone to be quiet, to stop the praise. Now, wouldn't that be fun to be in the crowd knowing that people are mad at you? The religious leaders that have all the wrong intentions, they're mad, and they're trying to get you to be quiet, but you and all your friends are screaming your heads off for Jesus. Meanwhile, there's this guy going, be quiet, be quiet, and you just yell all the louder in his face because you go, no, this is right. This is fitting. This is my God. This is my Messiah, and I am not going to be quiet. You just think, man, what a rush. You know, as you're just screaming with all these people, no, we're worshiping God with everything. And, everyone, and these guys want you to be quiet. And then these guys shout out to Jesus because they can't quiet you down. So they figure, okay, let's tell Jesus because Jesus should know that he shouldn't be getting all of this worship. That's reserved for God and God alone. And so they say, hey, hey, Jesus, tell your disciples, tell all these followers of yours to, to be quiet. And Jesus, you know what? If they're quiet, these rocks will start screaming out for me. Because I'm God, and I deserve this worship. I deserve this glory. All my life I've deserved this glory here on this earth. And here's this one day of worship, and you're telling them to be quiet. No way. I deserve this, and I'm going to accept that. In fact, if I had them quiet, those stones would start crying out. And you know what's interesting about that phrase? A couple of things. What happens a couple of days later? You know, the people are screaming, crucify him. And then he gets crucified. And no one's singing praises. No one's screaming Hosanna. And what happens at his crucifixion? It says the rocks split open. Isn't that interesting? I don't want to make too much of that. But I think there's just something to that that it specifically mentions. You know, here when the people are silent, the earth shakes and the rocks split open. Why? Because God's going to be worshipped regardless of what we do. 
God is God, and he's going to get worship. I, I, I sure hope you don't come in here thinking that I'm up here begging you, oh, please worship my God. Poor guy, he's up there. He needs you to worship him. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He says, you know what? We could be quiet, and these rocks, even these artificial ones, would, would, uh, would, would scream out. You know, and, and even you know, earlier in, in the book of Matthew, when the people were so proud, thinking, well, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a child of Abraham. What does God say to them in Matthew 3, 9? He says, don't think that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Because I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He says, don't think that you're beyond this because of your, you know, your, your reputation, your, your nationality, your heritage. He goes, because that's nothing to God. God could turn that rock into a child of Abraham. Yeah, it's such a humbling passage on the one hand because you go, I could be replaced by a rock. <laughs> Seriously, I, I mean, it does your heart so good just to dwell on that fact for like five minutes. I could be replaced by a rock. Think about that. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need me to worship him. If I'm quiet, he'll still be worshipped. He says that to the priest in Malachi. He goes, why don't you just shut the gates to your temple? Because I'm a great God. And you know what? My name's going to be praised everywhere, by every nation. So if you don't want to give me what I'm worth, then don't do it. I don't need that. I want those who will worship me ecstatically. I want those who will worship me with all their hearts. And that's what's going on here. You know what? One of our biggest problems is um, we're so self-conscious sometimes, aren't we? And we get so reserved. And, and we just, we want to be cool. And we're worried about what other people think. And yet, isn't it great those times in life when you're unrestrained? In, in anything, like, like laughter. You know how there's some places where you just don't want to laugh too loud, and so you're just kind of like... <laughs> You know, and it's like, okay, you know, that's still cool, but what about those times when you just laugh? Remember the last time you just laughed like crazy, where something was so funny to you that you just couldn't even stop laughing? And some of you guys are thinking about that right now. And just how you're just like, you're crying, you're, you're just trying to, you know, control your bodily functions. You're just like, because you're just, you're laughing so hard, and you're just doubled over, your stomach's hurting, you're, you, and, and you're in a place where it doesn't matter. It's okay to laugh, and you're just both, you know, you and your friends over whatever just happened, you're just laughing as hard as you can. Can you remember the last time you did that? And you remember how fun that was, just go, oh, man, it just felt so good to laugh. I mean, anything, or even just to scream, not in anger, but, but just, just yelling over excitement. When's the last time you just screamed uh, over something exciting, just because it, it was okay to there? You know, whether it's at a sporting event, and you're just making a fool of yourself, but it doesn't matter, because everyone else is. You're just going, yeah, 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 yeah! You know, you're just screaming, you know, you're high-fiving, you're just yelling, you're just, you know, didn't that just look fun? Okay, you know, it's just, it's like, oh, you know, just to let it all go and then to just scream, you know, and just, ah, oh, that was so good, you know, rather than, you know, just being in a place where everyone's kind of watching, oh, good play, you know, rather than just going for it. And, uh, and, and, and you know, even sometimes with crying, Weeping. It's like, oh, I don't want these guys to see me cry. I don't want to look like, a, 
you know, this or that, and, and yet other times when it's just, it's okay. And, and every once in a while in life, you know, something happens, it's just so tough, and it just seems like everything comes together at once, and you just bawl your head out, you wail. You just wail. And then afterwards, just, you just go, and that was just right. It just, it was a sad, sad thing, and I just let it go. You know, like we talked about several weeks ago about being in the house of mourning and how that's a good thing and there's a time to cry. And, uh, and, and, and I guess that's what I'm talking about with worship today. It's like, I know there are times when I'm reserved and God doesn't want me to be. Uh, I, I confess there's times when I'm sitting in a, a certain place and I'll at a church where I just really want to give my worship to God and really sing out to Him, but no one else is really singing, and I don't want everyone to hear my voice. You know, and I kind of just get into that whole restrained attitude versus the times when, you know, everyone else is singing around me and I just love to let it go. You know, that's why I love this scene, because I think, oh, now that's, I would be so into that. You know, everyone's just throwing their clothes. Ah! You know, this is the Messiah. You know, people are yelling, I don't care. You know, this is my Messiah. You know, and just this frenzy of, ah, oh, this is my God. I want to give him all the worship that I have. That's what he deserves. Versus the other places where, you know, just in my own sin, I, I get too concerned about other people. And I understand there are certain environments where you don't want to take the attention off of God. You know, and, and sometimes you make a spectacle of yourself to where everyone's looking at you, but you guys know what I'm talking about. There's just times when you ought to worship and you don't um, because you're too worried about what other people think. And honestly, sometimes, you know, when I come to this church, um, there's times when I worship, and then there's other times, like sometimes I'll sit in the back or whatever, and if people aren't singing, then I, I don't want to sing too loud. I don't want to do this or that. And yet there's something about, man, when I just let go and go, I don't care. I'm not here for them. I'm not here for the guy next to me. I'm here for God and to give him everything that I've got and to worship him with all of my heart. You know, that's, that's, that's what we're here to do. Um, give God the worship that he deserves. And I tell you, there's nothing that will heal you faster of whatever it is that you're bummed out about than thanksgiving, praise, worship with all of your heart because it takes you beyond yourself to someone who's greater to realize it's not all about me. The world doesn't revolve around me. It's all around this God, and he's so amazing. I'll worship him regardless of what's going on in my life. And that's what we're going to do. You know, as we study this passage, you know, we're, it was about just this worship, this thanksgiving um, that, that just it, it brought the people out of whatever life they were in and just says, you know, here's something bigger, and he deserves our worship.